Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of future and current teachers and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for educators to thrive in their own. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? All right, well, thanks for tuning into this episode. We are 24 episodes into the Epic Classroom Podcast, and I feel like we're just getting started, just getting started figuring out how do we have a podcast that talks about the big ideas and then the small ideas of teaching. And if you've listened to some of the past episodes, you know, sometimes we've covered really big topics, like how do you find joy in teaching? And, you know, how do we create a space that's more collaborative for students? Or, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you narrow down what you teach so that what you teach is done really well and the stuff that doesn't matter as much we don't need? And so we've covered big topics. Today, I kind of want to zoom in a little bit. I want this episode to be about how do we teach students how to ask good questions? And I want to give some specific examples about how we help them do that. Because asking questions is fundamental to being a human. And, and, and I think it is so important that we realize that we're not born knowing how to ask really good questions. Of course, we're born with a sense of wonder and curiosity, and that's part of why we ask questions, but how to ask them in a way that you get the answer that you're looking for, or so that you actually grow and you, you deeper your learning because you're learning to inspect and take it further and further, and, and asking questions that get you there. But you know, questions also help us form connections. We get to know other people better when we know how to ask them questions about themselves, and then obviously know how to listen to the responses and internalize and process it and hopefully lead to more questions, more curiosity with other people. I mean, questions are part of what it means to be human. And we've got to show students how to do that well in a social setting, but also in an academic setting. Because if we remember, and we've talked about this before, school is about enhancing the student's life there and then, right? Like the 13 years that you are in public education or whether it's private education, but K-12 education, those 13 years, that is your childhood. And we wanna enhance students' lives while they are there. And I think asking, teaching them how to ask good questions and satisfy their curiosity and, and build deeper understanding of the things they're learning about is so valuable for the here and now. But then also school is about the future. It's about preparing students for this, this unknown that they're headed for. And we all know if you are an adult listening to this, which I'm assuming you are, unless you're a kid in the back seat listening uh, to your mom or dad who's a teacher, um, which by the way, Thanks for listening as well. Thanks, thanks for listening to an education podcast with your parent. But if, if you're an adult, you know how important and crucial questions are, right? It's how we get to the bottom of things. It's how we figure things out. It's how we get to know the other people in our lives. And so I think we can actually be very intentional in the classroom about helping students learn how to ask good questions. And there's a number of things that I want to talk about and how to do this and how to do it well. I think one, we have to model good question asking first, you know, really teaching students what curiosity can look like in the spoken form. When, when you are 
are curious yourself as a teacher, maybe state your question out loud for students. You know, if you're teaching them something or you're watching a video together with them or you're reading a book or a passage or an article, maybe pause what you're doing. And, and if you have an actual bit of curiosity going on in your mind, if you're actually wondering something, Pause and state that. Show them what your curiosity looks like and, and also show them how to ask that question. What does your question look like? How, how is it open-ended? How is it close-ended? And you're really looking for a simple answer. I think modeling is one of the best things teachers do. Yes, of course, we teach and we share our own information, but we also can model what you know, proper questioning looks like or pop proper behavior looks like or the way that we can articulate our thoughts and, and take what's going on in our minds and phrase them in a way that's understandable and helps us get what we're trying to get out of it. And so I think step one is modeling question asking. You know, whenever I'm doing a project or a unit, I always want some type of driving question stated at the beginning of it. And a driving question is essentially a question that states the big problem that students are going to attempt to solve throughout a unit or project. And, you know, this is a project-based learning term, but I think it applies beyond just doing projects. It's really giving students a question that, that can be answered by the learning experience. And so maybe that's a big project. Maybe that's something we're going to be reading together. Maybe we're going to start a new novel, and there's this big driving question that we're going to attempt to try to answer as we read that novel together or individually. But what happens there when you give them a question that's going to drive the learning? Not only are you giving them this, this source of inquiry, you're trying to raise their curiosity at the beginning of a learning experience so that they kind of have this goal or target for their time. They know while I'm learning this material, while I'm reading this book, while I'm solving this math problem, while I'm conducting this experiment in science class, whatever it is, I know it's all for the purpose of trying to answer that big question that was introduced at the beginning of the unit. And so like one time, I, and I can't remember if I've shared this on the podcast or not, but here it goes again. One time I had a refugee named Beth Lisa come into my class and she shared about her experience of coming from a refugee camp in Kenya where she lived for over 17 years with no running water and no electricity and very little technology that we have over here in America, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, and then one day when Beth Lisa was put on an airplane and without the slightest clue where it was gonna land, ended up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is where she moved to. Um, and, and it was a big learning curve moving to Grand Rapids, Michigan from a refugee camp in Kenya. And so Beth Lisa shared with my students as a guest speaker all of the struggles she had coming here and you know the, the, the struggle of learning to use household appliances and, and how to find a job and, and, and something simple as turning on a lamp or opening a bag of chips. These were all brand new to her. It was completely outside of her experience growing up. And so she shared all of this with my students and she told them one story of how one day she was told by a social worker to get on something called a bus to go to something called a library, to use something called a computer, to get something called a job. And she didn't know how to do any of those things. She didn't even know what those things were. And so she got on this thing called a bus, but didn't know how to signal to get off of it. Didn't know that you can just pull that cable above your head and that will stop the bus where you want it to be stopped. And so she was stuck on that bus for eight hours that day and, and, and finally was made to get off by the bus driver. And this was in January during a snowstorm. And Beth Lisa had also never heard of snow before. Actually, she told my students when she got off the airplane from Kenya, it was snowing out in Grand Rapids, but she'd never heard of snow. She thought it was in volcano nearby. And this was sometimes 
type of strange cold ash falling from the sky. And so this was all new. And so when Beth Lisa left that morning, I asked my students some questions. I said, what is the big problem here? And we all did some brainstorming and we stated the problem that refugees coming from developing countries often struggle when they get to our very technologically advanced, modernized society. It can be a big struggle to do that. And so they answered my question by stating the problem. And then I asked the question, all right, what do we need to know in order to solve this problem. And so we went through that process and students generated a bunch of questions that they have, such as, all right, what are we creating? Who are we serving? What languages do refugees speak? What resources do they already have? What resources do they need? How can we help them with some of these problems? Why is using a bus so difficult? And one of my students in the class was like, using the bus is easy. He said, I use the bus every day to get to school and I go home on the city bus. And I was like, yeah, I, that, that does sound easy for somebody who does it all the time. But what about somebody who's never even heard of a bus before? Would it be easy? What can we do about that? And so they ask questions like, how do we help them learn how to use a bus? Who can we present this to? How can this actually be used to serve refugees in our community? And so they generated a bunch of questions. And these I put into a file called Essential Questions. And some of these questions I can answer pretty easily. When they ask, how much time do we have to work with? I can say, oh, we've got a month to work on this. Or when they say, is, is this part of... English or history class, I can say, oh, here is what we're going to be learning while we help solve this problem. Or do we have to read a book during this unit? And then I respond, no, you get to read a book during this unit. But I'm answering some of the questions, but then other questions like, how can we serve the refugees? Or who are we presenting to? Or what are we creating? I say, you know what? I don't know the answer to those questions, but they are good questions. And so throughout this project, throughout this unit, we are going to attempt to answer these questions. But before we do that, we need a driving question. What is the big question that sums up all of this learning? And the driving question for some of the groups were things like how can we help refugees use the transportation system in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? That's their driving question. And so throughout that unit, as we're learning about refugees and learning about where they come from and, and, and we're researching and we're writing and we're doing all this quote unquote schoolwork, that group of students or those groups of students were simultaneously trying to answer that big question. How can we serve refugees by helping them learn how to use public transportation? And so those students were simultaneously creating how-to videos and scripts and storyboards for those videos. They were making flashcards and, and pamphlets on how to use public transportation. One group made a whole presentation on how to use the transportation system and they made it into a PowerPoint slide that they then presented at the end of this project to an actual panel of refugees and social workers who then are now using their actual presentation to help educate refugees on how to use public transportation. And so they did all of this fabulous, transformative, meaningful work, but it all started with being posed a big question, developing this question that was going to drive all of the learning. And so a few things are happening here. One, we are promoting student inquiry. We're getting them to ask questions in wonder, but then also 
We're modeling what can happen when you ask good questions. It can actually persuade you. It can move you. It can engage you deeper because there's this question that you were wondering about, and now we're going to do the learning necessary in order to answer that question. And so question, ask, question asking is key, and it's the same we do in our own lives, right? Whether you do it in a formal way and you write the questions down or you're just faced with a problem, we're starting to ask, all right, well, what do we do about this program problem? You know, have you ever had Wi-Fi go out in the middle of class and you had a whole lesson that was dependent on having Wi-Fi, but then it just crashed at the beginning of your lesson and you're wondering, okay, what do I do now, right? And you're probably running that internal dialogue asking questions, okay, what can I take from this lesson and do without Wi-Fi? Or, or how can I adapt this? Or how do I take a lesson that I might have done without Wi-Fi at another point in the unit? How can I use that today, right? Like what you're doing is you're asking questions. That's at the heart of problem solving is we're asking questions and then we're trying to answer them. And one of the best ways to learn how to do this is to actually state the question out loud. We're teaching students that to solve big problems, we have to first ask questions and then we can figure out how do we actually answer those questions. But you know, asking questions can really be on a sliding scale. You know, I always tell my son who's in third grade, there's no such thing as a bad question but there are better questions, right? There, of course, there's no bad questions. If, if you're curious about something, you should ask and find out and investigate about it. So there's not bad questions, but there are better questions, right? There's a way of asking questions where we really dig deep and we find out what we need to know and we can get to the bottom of what we're attempting to learn. And that can be done through asking questions in a really good way. And one of the ways that I think we can teach students to do this is using a process called the question formulation technique. And essentially what that is, is, is just a process that you can work students through to generate really strong questions. So I thought maybe it would be helpful to tell you what the QFT, the question formulation technique looks like. And maybe you can actually use that with your own students. And it really is applicable in any grade level and in any subject area. Because the point of this technique is to really just try to get out good questions. And again, we need to teach all students how to investigate deeper of what they're learning, how to ask questions about what they're learning. I, I think it's one thing to send students home with homework where they're trying to find the right answers, but what if we gave them homework where, hey, I want you to go read this passage and I want you to generate questions you have about it. And then we're gonna talk about it in class. Or I want you to generate three really strong questions about this video I'm gonna send home with you. And then I want you to attempt to answer them. But by asking questions, they're having to dig deeper, right? When you're asking a question about something you're learning, that, that forces you to process that information at a deeper level. Because if I can take a piece of information and I can ask a question about it, I, that makes me penetrate. I'm looking deeper at that. And I'm also having to figure out how do I phrase it? How do I process it? And so that I can articulate it in the form of a question. And so asking questions makes deeper learning as well as satisfies curiosity. And I think this technique is a really great way to teach students how to do it well. And by the way, uh, everything I'm about to share, I'll, I'll do my best to share it on podcasts, but I find it really helpful to have visual tools with processes like this for you as you're teaching students how to do it well, but then also for them so they can follow it along. And so 
this week I actually took the whole question formulation technique and uh, I put it on a really cool poster and uh, I put the poster up online. It's for free. So if you want it, um, I'm going to make a note. I will put it in the show notes of this podcast and uh, all it does, it'll take you to my website and then there is a PDF uh, with the QFT on there and you can download it and print it or you can take the language from it and make it your own. I have no problem with any of that. So feel free after this episode to go and download uh, the QFT poster. It's just an infographic that walks you step by step through this process to get students asking better questions. So step one of the QFT, the question formulation technique, is produce. So first step. So let's say that you have got some type of focus topic. Let's say you're having students read an article. So the, the article is their focus topic. You could say, all right, I want you to read this article. And now I want you to generate as many questions as possible about this article, about your focus topic. And I always remind students in this first step and produce, there are no bad questions here. So I want you to write down every single question that comes to mind. And don't wonder if this is a good question or a stupid question or how it sounds or is it open-ended, is it close-ended. I want you to ask as many questions as possible. So go. And then you give students a two, three, four minutes to write as many questions as they have. Or if they're working in groups, say as a group, I want you to share as many questions as you have and I want somebody in your group to record it. So that's step one. And then you move on to step two, which is improve. Now I want you to take all of those questions you just listed and I want you to categorize them as open or closed. So you could tell them, I want you to label each one of the questions with an O or a C. So is it open-ended? Is, is, is the response... Could it be a number of things or is it close ended? Is it yes or no? Is it five or 10? Is it, you know, is, is there actually a one word answer for it? And so have them go and label O or C next to all of their questions and vice versa. So is it open or is it closed? And then I would have them in their groups or individually. I want you to describe the advantages and disadvantages of both types of questions. I want you to think about is it better to have this one open? Is it better to have this one closed? And I always want to make the distinction. There's nothing wrong with closed ended questions, right? Just because it doesn't have an open end to it doesn't make it bad, but it's important to know if it's closed ended. Is it, is there an actual answer that's correct to what you're asking here? And so like, you know, if you're saying, Oh, I wonder how big Lake Michigan actually is. Well, there's actually an answer to that. You know, it's 88 miles wide or it's this deep, it's 600 feet deep. And so th that there, it's an advantage to have that one be closed because there's actually an answer that somebody can go and find and research or discover. And so go through and I just want you to write O or C and then describe the advantages and disadvantages of both types of questions. And the point behind this is for students to really just understand the difference between open and closed. And then what I want you to do on step two for the improve is I want you to just improve them for relevance and depth and clarity. Is the question clear? Is there any way that you can make it a little bit more clear? Does it really skim the surface? Is there a way to go deeper with it? Um, you know, maybe instead of how big is Lake Michigan, maybe that's one of your questions, but maybe there could be another question. Is it possible for it to get bigger or is Lake Michigan shrinking, right? There's more depth pun intended, by the way, is that there's more depth to a question like that. But then also, is it relevant? You know, if we're reading a, an article all about Lake Michigan and you ask, um, and, and the article is all about its geological formation and you ask the question, what type of water sports can you do on Lake Michigan? Okay. 
That might be a good question in some contexts, but it doesn't really fit the topic of the article. It, it's not really focused in that way, and it's not really relevant in that way. And so maybe right now, as we're in the improve stage, you cross that question out. You say, you know what? This one isn't quite relevant to what we're learning here. So as a group or individually, I'm going to remove that question from my list. And now talking about remove, we move on to step three, which is prioritize. In prioritize, you have students select the best questions and then provide rationale for why they are the best. So I would tell them, consider which are most important for you to understand the subject. We're reading this article or watching this movie. We're, we're having this discussion. Which one will help you understand the subject of what we're learning here? Which one will help you in your research, which one will help you solve the problem, which one will satisfy your curiosity. And so by prioritizing, you're helping them whittle it down and really get to those best questions that they have. And then in step four, it's time for action. I would tell students, plan how you, you will I would tell students, plan how will you use your questions? How will you ask them in discussion? How are you going to let them guide your research? How can you use them to complete the tasks that we're doing here? So it's really important for them to ask the questions, but then really figure out, okay, how do I actually want to use this? Am I writing it down and using it as I'm researching? Am I going to put it next to my computer and I'm going to use that as I'm doing some research? Am I going to hold it and ask it directly in discussion? Am I going to wait for somebody else to talk about something and then I'll plan to ask that question? So really coming up with a plan of action and then you're actually doing it. You're using your questions. But then the last one, number five, is reflect. Reflect on the process. Have students think about the QFT process. What did you learn from it? How is your perspective change today? How can you use what you learned? I think the really important thing about Reflect is for students to really internalize the process and think about, oh, I'm getting better at asking questions. I can use this process in my own life to make sure that I'm learning to ask really strong questions. So this is just a, a process you can use with students. I've used it and I've seen their questions actually become stronger. They take it from a good question to a great question or a shallow question to a deep question, a question that might just be really kind of surface level at first, but when you go through this process and you're whittling down and you're figuring out what's good and what's not, by the end you actually have strong questions which can lead to deeper inquiry and lead to curiosity and lead to better research and schoolwork and all the stuff they were going to do anyway, except now it's enhanced by using this process. So check out the QFT. And as a reminder, I do have it in poster form and I've got it on my blog as well uh, and a little bit of writing about it, kind of talking about what we just talked about. So um, feel free to print that out and use it however you wish. I will put the link in the show notes. Um, but the last one I want to talk about uh, as far as question asking is something that's called the crap test. Do, do you know what the crap test is? I just love it. And, and I love, I've only uh, used it with high school students and they just get a real kick out of their teacher calling something the crap test. Uh, so I don't know how appropriate that is for elementary. You use your own discretion. But what the crap test is, is really a litmus test to determine whether information that students are looking at is crap or not. It's an acronym that stands for currency, relevance, authority, accuracy, and purpose. And what I have my students always do when we are looking at research, when we're looking at information, where we look at a source of information, this is how we're determining whether it's actually strong information or not. Because one of the things that I think we all know 
is that there is a lot of garbage floating around in the world right now. Bad information, misinformation, stuff that might be strong information, but it's being given to you with a biased slant to it. And, and what we need to teach students and what we need everybody to learn how to do and how to do it well is to critically think when they look at information to determine whether it's something I actually want to believe or not, whether it's something I want to use or not, whether it supports what I'm learning about, or maybe it contradicts it and maybe it shifts my perspective. And so this is a really strong test and it's really based on asking questions. So I, I uh, haven't written this one up yet, but I, maybe this will be what I write about in my blog next week. So check out, keep an eye out for it. You can also Google it. There's other stuff out there on the crap test. I just think it's a really great way for students to figure out if what they're reading, what they're learning, what they're watching, what they're hearing is actually valuable or not, or whether it's crap. So the crap test, it starts with currency. Always having students look at the source of information and ask the question, when was this information published or posted? Has the information been revised or updated? Is the information current or out of date for my topic? Are the links within the information, if it's a research, if it's an online article, is it, are they, are they valid? Do they still work? And the reason currency matters and the, the reason it's important for them to look and see when did something come out is because, you know, if I was writing a, an informational text on the planets, I probably wouldn't want to use a source from the year 2000. You probably know why, right? Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's right. That astrophysicist made the point and he got it across and won that Pluto is no longer a planet. And so I, and that didn't happen until after the year 2000. I think it's that year. Don't quote me on that. But you can't quote Neil deGrasse Tyson. Pluto is not a planet. And so if I was using information from 2000 about writing about planets, it might not be as valid as it once was. And you can think about that with any current event. Things change and move and, and transform. And so the currency of what you're reading or writing about really, really matters. And so having students look at currency, having them look for relevance, that's the R in the crap test, you know, the importance of the information for your needs. And then have students ask questions like, does the information relate to my topic or answer my actual question? You know, I, we, we said it a moment ago in some of the other, uh, a, a bit ago, we were talking about, you know, relevance. You know, sometimes you're looking for information and you find something that might have the same word or maybe it relates to the topic and in some way, but it actually doesn't contribute to what you're researching or writing about or trying to figure out. And so asking, is it actually relevant to what I'm doing here? Who is my intended audience? You know, is the information at an appropriate level for who, what I'm writing about, for my own needs maybe? Have you looked at a variety of sources that determine that this one that I'm using is actually relevant? Does it point back to what I'm doing and does it actually strengthen what I'm writing about? So teaching students to ask for relevance. And then the big one, is asking for authority. What is the source of information? So the, the first A in the crap test is authority. Does the person writing this have the authority to write about it? Is where I'm getting this information from an expert? You know, I often tell students, if I were to write a book about teaching, yeah, maybe people could listen to me because I've been a teacher for a while. I've done lots of research on it. I've written other books on teaching. I've, I've spent a lot of my life trying to understand education and best practices and so, yeah, maybe I have some authority in that area. By the way, there's people with lots more authority than me on that. But yeah, I probably have some authority. Now, if I wrote a book on astrophysics, yeah, you know, or if I wrote a book on how to be a teenager in the 21st century, 
Yeah, you know what? That probably wouldn't work for me because I haven't done either of those. I'm not an astrophysics guy. And uh, I, you know, actually, you know what? I got to take it back and I could edit this out, but I'm just going to keep this podcast raw. I was a teenager in the 21st century, but only the first few years of it. So let me rephrase it. If I wanted to write a book on how to be a teenager in the year 2022, yeah, I, I don't have the authority to write about that, right? I don't have the credentials for it. I, I don't have the qualifications to write about it. And you might have noticed this. There's a lot of people writing things on the internet and posting things on social media who do not have the authority to write about that and for us to actually believe or take heart into what they're writing. And so it's really important to, to, for students to learn to ask questions about who created this, where's this information coming from? Do they have the authority to write about this and write about it well enough for me to use it in my paper that I'm writing or to use it in the speech I'm giving or to cite it in a discussion that I'm giving? So teaching students that, um, and then, uh, you know, the second to last one, the second A in the crap test is accuracy. You know, is it reliable? Is it correct? I always tell students, I want to see if you can find the information in at least three different sources, because if it's accurate, it's probably printed in more place than one. So asking them those questions, is this reliable? You know, you sometimes see something that might look legitimate and then you start reading through it and it's littered with spelling and grammar problems and typographical errors. And then it becomes apparent, oh, you know what? Whoever wrote this was not accurate with their writing skills. That makes me question whether their information is accurate as well. And, and so looking for accuracy. And then the last one is P, which is purpose. What was the purpose of this information? What is the reason that it exists? Um, because, again, there's a lot of biased information on the Internet, which doesn't nullify it necessarily. But students have to be aware of that. They have to be aware of what were they trying to do here? Were they trying to sell me something? Were they trying to get me to buy into an ideology? Were they trying to win me over on their team? Were they purely trying to promote an idea or maybe just share the information of an idea? And so there's a lot of potential for what the purpose of the information is. And the only way to, to uncover what that purpose was is to get students to ask questions about it. And so teaching them what questions to ask when they're looking at information and trying to figure out if it's good and and you know doing that through the question asking process and maybe using the qft to do that you know using the question formulation for them to take those questions and make them stronger and what you're going to find is the more students learn to ask strong questions the more practice they get the better questions that they're going to be asking again there's no bad questions but there are better questions. And the more they practice it, the better they will get at it. And I've found using techniques and processes like the crap test or the QFT or the driving question that can drive an entire learning experience or simply just modeling what good question asking looks like, modeling inquiry, modeling your curiosity and wonder for students. The more that we do all of that, the better students will get at asking strong questions and as a result, the deeper the learning will become. The more they will learn, the more inquisitive they will be, the more curious they will be, and the more they're gonna be able to embrace wonder here when they are children in school and long after it because they're gonna know how to do it now.
And just to state what I said at the beginning, that's really what we're up to, right? We're trying to enhance and enrich the lives of our students here and now in the present, but we're also trying to help set them up for a lifetime of thriving, of, of living a life where you're not bored, where you, where, where, you, where you don't feel like you've got it all figured out, but there's still mystery and wonder behind everything. And you attack that mystery and you, and you, you chase after that wonder with really strong questions. So anyway, thanks for listening to this episode. Again, if you want the QFT poster, it is online for free. I will put the link in uh, uh, in the episode notes and you can also find it all over my social media or you can go to trevormuir.com and go to resources and it will be in there as well along with a bunch of other resources I create for teachers and educators in the classroom. But uh, yeah, love making these podcasts. I have been a little sick this week. So if I sound a little froggy, uh, now you know why. But uh, all right, well, from snowy Grand Rapids, Michigan, it is dumping snow outside. I think I'm going to edit this episode, put it out, and then I'm going to go spend the rest of the day playing in the snow because uh, it's just quite wonderful. But uh, thanks for listening to this episode, and I am excited for the next one very, very soon. My name is Trevor Muir, and this is the Epic Classroom Podcast. Take care, friends. Bye.